Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church podcast. This week's message is from our current teaching series, The Called, God at Work Through His People. In this series, we will follow the lives of Elijah and Elisha, ordinary men who were called to stand for the one true God in a pagan and godless society. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. So there's been lots going on, lots of things happening this week, but I'm glad to be here and to share with you what the Lord's given me today from our passage in 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge movie fan. Like, I, I enjoy movies. I like just relaxing with my family, watching things. And, uh, of course, when you have young kids, you watch a, wa- a lot of lame movies, you know. Uh, but uh, before I had a lot of kids, you know, uh, back in the days of uh, when you had to go to, a, like, a video store and pick out a movie. You guys remember those days, right? Uh, I mean, it was a big decision, wasn't it? You know, you go there and you walk the aisles and then you walk them again and find something else. But those days, I mean, it was a big deal, right? You get that, you're like, well, I'm going to fight through it. And so there was many times in my life where I fought through a dumb movie. And, uh, and, and there's been some times, and maybe you can relate to this, there's been times where I've watched a dumb movie all the way to the end, and then they have just a totally worthless ending. Have you ever watched a movie like that before? Where it like, end scene, you know? And it's like the director got tired and just gave up at that moment, you know? And it's just like, what, that's it? Like, no resolution, no, like, no nothing, and no, am I the only one who's ever watched movies like that? And at the end of it, you're just like, no, I hate this thing. I just wasted two hours of my life, you know? And they didn't bring it to resolution, because I'm the kind of guy who likes movies that come to resolution, right? I mean, there's like a victory at the end, you know? He's standing on a dead body, and he's like, yeah! And then end scene, or, you know, they're riding off into the sunset, or whatever it may be. I love those kind of movies that are just like, they have some closure, and you can like go to bed at night and just be like, okay, good, everything's okay in the world, not wondering, like, I wonder what happened, or uh, maybe you've watched a series before on Netflix, of course, now we kind of binge watch different series, and you can always tell when a series doesn't get renewed, because like the last two seasons, or the last two episodes are like just wrapping everything up, you know, very quickly, and, uh, but I hate it when there's no resolution, when you watch something, and it's just like, man, uh, uh, I, I like it when it's, it's happily ever after, everything goes well, you know, they end up rich, that's how it usually, isn't that funny, they always end up wealthy at the end of every movie, you know, and, or happy with their family, and, and, and to be honest, when you think about happy endings, that's really what should happen in 1 Kings chapter 19. You got to remember what we talked about last week in, in uh, verse eight, or chapter 18, where it was Mount Carmel, you know, and God brought down fire from heaven, and, and the, the priests were eliminated, and there was this huge showdown between God and the false prophets, and God had done all of these things, and there was this big thing, and there was 850 false prophets, there was Elijah, and I mean, this just incredible, incredible situation happens, and then, of course, at the end of it all, uh, he, you know, he kills all the false prophets, you know, and then God tells him, rain is coming, right, and he goes, and he looks for the rain, and, and then it's coming, and then he beats a chariot he runs faster than a chariot you know and uh and he gets there and the rain starts falling after three and a half years and the drought is over and god is victor and all of these things and i kind of imagine in my mind you know the camera panning back on elijah you know and he's standing there and the rain is falling you know and it's like victory is here and all the people are celebrating and they're chanting elijah right god is the lord and i mean they, they come out to this great scene and the movie just ends and it's just so wonderful right that's how i imagine it going but unfortunately that's not how it is and that's the thing about God sometimes he shows us the reality of life like to me I look at this there should just be a a, just a closure on the book of kings you know that's the last verse and everything was well from that point on but that's not the case that's what you would expect to happen but instead what we see is Elijah go from this incredible spiritual high to probably one of the lowest moments of his life almost overnight almost overnight Someone go from this incredible victory of God to just a complete area or a time of his life of just total despair, discouragement, and depression. And that's often how life is, isn't it? That's kind of the reality of life, where sometimes we go from the greatest highs to the lowest lows, just like that. I know personally in my own life, some of the darkest time of my life have come after some of the greatest spiritual highs. Some of the greatest moments, maybe in church, in the church, where we've had a great Sunday or whatever has gone so well, and then Monday is like the most depressed day ever. <laughs> uh, I had somebody joke, I had a pastor's wife joke with me about how she doesn't talk to her husband on Mondays, because that's when every pastor is depressed. I don't know what it is, <laughs> Monday's the day, you know, and you have this great high, and then just what happens is just, man, spiritual attack after spiritual attack comes. Uh, some of the hardest times uh, in my life have come uh, after a Sunday service, <laughs> after I preached a message. 
And, uh, and, and that's just often how life is. It's you have these great highs, and then immediately there's a difficulty. I mean, it happened to Jesus, of course, right after he'd been declared the Son of God by God himself. The Holy Spirit was there at his baptism, and this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, get to the uh, wilderness to be tempted for 40 days, right? I mean, right away, after a great high, a difficulty came. Uh, often when people accept Christ as their Savior or after they get baptized, sometimes I'll say to them, uh, hey, just so you know, you're going to have some hard times coming. You're going to have some hard times. And of course, that's always, it's always welcome, right? Like, oh, they're on a, you know, I'm, I just got saved. You know, things are going great. And then it's like, uh, just be, be ready. Things are coming. Many of you can relate to that. How that time you accepted Christ and you're just on fire for the Lord and things are gone for a while and then some difficulties come. This is what our passage is dealing with today. And today I want to talk to you about how do we handle those low times? How do we handle the discouragement? How do we handle depression that so often comes into the life of Christians, even when we are serving the Lord. Now, I realize today, when you use the word depression, it's a bit of a loaded subject matter, because we are going to talk about it today. Because I recognize that when it comes to that subject, there is a wide and varied uh, a spectrum of it. You know, there are people today who are just simply discouraged uh, in life, and they're just having a hard time, and things are maybe not going their way. There are others, of course, that uh, deal with clinical or chemical issues that are going on that leads to depression. And just so you know, today, I'm not qualified to diagnose any of you today, just so you know, okay? And nor am I going to try to diagnose anybody today or try to fit everybody in a box, certainly. But I really believe that as we study this story in the life of Elijah, what we will discover are helpful principles to encourage us to maybe even change our perspective a little bit on the feelings that we're having, the things that we are, are facing. And I'm praying as well to give all of us some hope for the future. Because whether or not you're facing something right now, whether or not you're uh, in a time of discouragement right now, you're going to have one. So I want to kind of give us all some helpful thoughts uh, that, can, uh, that can help us. So let's get into the passage for some context. We'll begin in verse number 1. Uh, of 1 Kings chapter number 19 and uh, in verse number 1 uh, today. And um, uh, there we go. I'm not sure. Hold on a second here. There we go. Yeah, it's not connected. So Christian, can you go ahead and hit the next one or somebody? I'm using, uh, I'm using Christian's phone because uh, I'm live streaming with my phone because my wife's at home. We usually use her phone. Maybe we should like get a better system for live streaming. What do you think? All right, let's have a vote right now. No. <laughs> we'll look into that. All right, 1 Kings chapter number 19, verse number 1. It says, And Ahab told, Je told Jezebel, Jezebel sorry, all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. So remember, Ahab was there at Mount Carmel. He experienced all this. Verse 2, Then Jezebel sent a messenger under Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, <laughs> and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them, those prophets, by tomorrow, about this time. By the time you get this message, Elijah, you're going to be as dead as those prophets, those false prophets. You're going to be as dead as one of them by the time you receive this note tomorrow. I'm not going to ask if any of you have ever received notes like that before, uh, but that would be pretty intimidating, don't you think? A death threat. By tomorrow, you're going to be dead. You know, when you get into it, when you read that first passage, really, I think what you expect when it says that Ahab told Jezebel all that had happened to me, when I read that, I thought, well, man, she's, maybe something's going to happen then in her heart. I think as Christians, we would expect maybe revival's about to come to Israel, right? Maybe Jezebel's going to see the error of her ways. Maybe Jezebel's going to hear what Ahab tells her, and she's going to be like, oh, man, we better repent. You know, the people are rising up. They're unified. Uh, maybe Ahab, you know, and his wicked wife would repent. Maybe they'd be removed from leadership. You'd expect, wouldn't you, that Elijah at this point would be a hero in this whole thing. You'd expect that wherever he went, people were like, Elijah, what's going on, man? You know, like, did you, I can't, what was it like? You think he'd be like, I mean, a celebrity at this point. He'd have his own reality show, you know, The Days of Elijah, you know. I don't know, Drought Dynasty. Oh, I wrote a whole bunch down. I can just keep going. You know, <laughs> Elijah's got talent. I don't know. You know? <laughs> He's got all, you would think, I mean, this guy would be, be the man. You would think that the whole country would just be in revival and all of these things would be happening, but none of it's happening. There's no celebrations going on. There's no uh, people that we know of, mass turnings back to God. There's no Jezebel or Ahab getting kicked out of the country. And in fact, Jezebel is still giving orders. And the first order she gives after this incredible event is, I'm going to kill Elijah. I'm going to kill Elijah. And he needs to go back into hiding. Look at verse number three. It says, and when he saw that, so when he saw the note, <laughs> the message, he arose and he went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah. And, okay, now underline this phrase here, 
and left his servant there. Those four words, underline that in your Bible if you do that. Just take note of that verse. But he himself, that's another word you could highlight, himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. He made a request that he would die and said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. It is enough. I've had enough. It is enough. Take away my life for I am not better than my father's. I think it's safe to say here, Elijah's depressed. I think it's safe to say here that Elijah has hit a place where nobody wants to be, where you are willing for your life to be taken from you because of your circumstances. What he had expected to happen wasn't happening. He's upset, obviously. He's upset maybe at God. He thought he knew what God was going to do. I'm sure as he was there on that mountain, he expected things to go a little bit differently but now he's not so sure. In fact, he's so unsure about it that he says, I wish that my life was taken from me. Now, before we jump to any conclusions about Elijah, you have to remember what it says in James chapter 5, verse 17. And I've referenced this before where it says that Elias, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. He was a man who went through things just like we do. Often we look at scripture and we see him, we're like, dude, you're a prophet. Don't you remember what happened? But I could say the same thing to you today. Don't you remember what happened? Five months ago, don't you remember what happened last week in your life where God was there for you and brought you through a trial and then now we're at this totally depressed, difficult state. And he was a man just like us that God used in an incredible way, but he was going through a challenge. He was depressed. He wanted his life to be over. It's interesting, only a few months after Charles Spurgeon became pastor in London, I have a, uh, a picture of him here. I've referenced him before. I used many quotes. God used him in an incredible, incredible way. But just a few months after he became the pastor uh, of the church in London that he really, really, where things took off for him, New Park Street Chapel, uh, the church just totally exploded. I mean, completely exploded. I, you can't even really imagine the growth that took place. Within a few months, it was over 10,000 people just almost overnight. So much so that they had to continually move locations into stadiums eventually so that they could find a place to meet and have all of these people together where he would preach to them without without modern day microphones too, which is incredible. They said his voice was just amazing. You could just, uh, I mean, completely, he, he could just project. <laughs> well, he also had a lot of enemies, which is interesting. A lot of people called him a cult leader. They uh, said that, of course, his church shouldn't be that big. They questioned his motives. They said, oh, you just want, you know, you have a big ego. You just want all of these big things. And they launched all sorts of attacks at him, including disrupting some of his services. Well, the story goes that one day, while he was preaching, and I've read this before, uh, previous to this time, and he was preaching to a massive crowd, and, and in, in that day, of course, you have to remember, um, fire was a big deal. Uh, if, if there was a fire, I mean, it could sweep through a town or a city, I mean, just overnight. And so while he's speaking to thousands and thousands of people, someone, they believe it was someone who was against him and his church, came in and yelled fire, that there was a fire. The story goes that because of the ensuing stampede, seven people were trampled to their death as a result of that event. Can you imagine going through that on a, on a Sunday service? Seven people died during this false alarm, somebody yelling fire. And to Charles Spurgeon, it absolutely devastated him, devastated him. And he fell into great depression for many, many years. And some believe that he never really got over that event in his life. And you have to understand that difficulty comes to all, all people. <laughs> Whether you're a prophet, a great preacher of the past, we struggle with our emotions. To him, to Spurgeon, everything had been going well. I mean, you got to think the church was exploding. People were coming to Christ. He was preaching to thousands every single day at that point in his ministry, every single day. And then there was this unexpected situation, this tragedy. Maybe you've experienced something like that in your life where everything was going well for a while. Seemed like, man, you had, you had life all figured out, right? You're all headed in the, in the same direction. Everything's going well. God's with you. And then an unexpected trial comes. Uh, unexpected diagnosis, a setback, a trial, a financial difficulty that you never expected. And it puts you in a place of discouragement. This is where Elijah is. He's discouraged. He's depressed. He's despondent. But the thing I want you to notice is that God's not going to leave him alone in that trial. 
God's not going to leave him alone in that great sorrow that he is in. Look at verse number five. God sends some help to him. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked. And behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again and went back to sleep. You know, angels are always on assignment, right? Angels are always on assignment. They're never just out roaming around and then coming back to God and be like, you never would believe what I just saw, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, and they're on assignment. And God sent this angel specifically to Elijah for the express purpose of helping him and encouraging him. He didn't bring him a self-help book or anything like that. What he does is he comes alongside of him, he touches him, he brings him a meal, and then he goes back to sleep, <laughs> He goes back to sleep. Some of you right now are like, that would be great. <laughs> Someone bring me a meal and go back to sleep. Look at verse number seven. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb of the mountain. I mean, that's a packed protein bar right there. I mean, that's got everything in it. On the strength of that food, he went 40 days and 40 nights. Verse number nine. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? That's a key phrase. He says, What are you doing here? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. They seek my life now to take it away. He says, After all this, after all these things, now they're trying to kill me. What we see here is God sending help to Elijah in this time of depression. And God approaches it in three different ways. He approaches it in a physical matter. First of all, he touched him. They brought food. Uh, he encouraged him to sleep. <laughs> and then there's the spiritual aspect where he deals with his view of God at this point. We'll talk about all these things in depth here in a minute. And then psychologically as well, God deals with him because he listens to him. He says, hey, what are you doing here? What's going on? Now, these are the three ways that we also can approach a better understanding of discouragement and depression, ways that we can uh, help. Now, just give us a bit of an overview, overview here. Now, most people today, I would say most, a lot of people today view depression and discouragement as a purely physical thing. You'll find this a lot in the world's philosophy where it's strictly a physical thing. And so when you're going through a difficult time and you're depressed and you're having a hard time and you talk to somebody, they'll say, well, what you need to do is you need to remove anything from your life that causes you stress, Right? You need to remove anything from your life that might cause you to be a little bit uneasy or, or, or you know, to rock the boat. Uh, and then they might say, well, maybe you just need to go away. You need to go on vacation. You need, to, uh, uh, you need to completely just totally unwind and totally relax and get rid of anything. Uh, or maybe then physically you need to take a pill or take something like that to, to help you with those things. And, and there are certainly moments and things where that, that does uh, come into play. But for the most part, when it comes to these things, this is the physical uh, uh, idea. People look at it from a physical standpoint. Then there's other people who look at it as if we are strictly spiritual beings. These are the kind of people that when someone is, is depressed and someone's going through a hard time, they'll say this, show some faith. <laughs> Quit sinning. You're depressed because you're a sinning right now. They'll say things like that because they boil it down to a strictly spiritual thing. They'll say things like, um, you know, just get over it. Trust God. Bless God. Amen. Trust it. Trust him, you know, get over what you're going through. Just get over. And it's because what they're looking at is they're looking at it from a strictly spiritual thing. So they think it's a spiritual issue. That's why you're, you're struggling. That's why you're discouraged. Others say it's physical. It's all, about, it's all about the external or it's all about taking something to help something physical. And then the, the other way that people view depression is psychological. You just need to talk it out, right? If you have enough meetings with a psychologist or somebody, you just sort of, if you just talk it out enough, then you're going to get better. Right? Those are the three ways that people look at it. But what I want you to notice in this passage is that God addresses Elijah in all three ways. He comes to him, and, uh, and it's be, it, it, he comes to him in the physical, in the spiritual, and then also in the psychological. And the, and the reason is, is because we are not just a soul and we're not just a body. We're intertwined. We're a psychosomatic being is God, how God has created us. And so there's more to us than just one or the other. We're not just a soul. We're united to, the to a body as well. And so we see God minister to Elijah in a physical way. And so he comes to him and he brings him food and, and, and he's resting. And, and, and here's the thing, church. Sometimes you just need to rest when you're having a hard time. Sometimes you just need to rest. This is, this is, this is, uh, this is the, the, one of the things that I struggle with is I, is I, just, I just never stop, right? Maybe some of you are that way. Actually, I know some of you are that way, <laughs> 
You never stop. There's just a constant, there's just constant, 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 constant. And sometimes the best thing when you're going through difficulty uh, is you just need to take a nap. Not in church, right? But, you know, you need to set aside time to rest. Go on a vacation. Go away with your spouse. Uh, You know, uh, build those things that are important to you. You know, just rest. Read a good book. Don't read How Not to Be Depressed. Don't read that book. But, you know, read a good book. Maybe some way to even distract your mind a little bit. Even Jesus said in Mark chapter 6, verse number 31, he said, he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Jesus himself would take time to rest. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Winston Churchill, during the height of the war, uh, when he was, str- you know, I mean, faced with incredible pressure. I don't think any of us can relate to the pressure that he was going through. He would often, very often, take time to either paint a picture they're always very angry. I'm just joking. <laughs> to paint something, or he would watch a movie, or he would read a novel. He wouldn't read, you know, The Art of War or Strategies. He would just read a novel. He would read a novel, or he would watch a movie. Uh, in the middle of a world war, he would step back, and he would take that rest because he understood the value of it. It was his way of dealing with the incredible pressure and, and often the just oppression that he was going through. And so we see God here ministering to Elijah in a physical way, but he also ministers to him in a psychological way as well. He comes to him, I don't know if you notice it there, and he says to him, what are you doing here? What's going on? He asks him uh, to talk about his feelings. He's a friend to him. All throughout scripture, especially in the book of Psalms, we see examples of people venting to God about their emotions. You cannot read the book of Psalms and not see David pouring out his heart to God and the things that he's struggling with. You know, being being a godly person, I think sometimes the misconception is is that if you're a godly person and you're full of faith, that you have no emotions. Nothing bothers you. I'm just like, it's just, it's all good, (laughs) you know? Oh, somebody close to me just died, you know, right at my feet. I'm good. That's not how it works, okay? We are made in the image of God. There is emotion. There is is parts of us that, that hurt. We hurt and we feel. And so it is often very helpful just to be willing to talk about those things. Some of you are like, are you turning into a psychologist? No, I'm not. I'm not. Okay? I'd be a terrible psychologist. (laughs) Terrible. But I recognize that often the root issues with our feelings can be discovered simply by talking about it. Those of you who are married, do you know how you get to the issues in your relationship, in your marriage relationship? You talk about it, right? (laughs) You communicate. I mean, that's the number one thing in marriage counseling I say, how's your communication? And most times when there's a problem, they go, oh, we're, not, we're not really talking at all. <laughs> you know, we give a high five and we go to sleep, you know, like that's it. We're not talking at all. Communication makes a difference in our relationships and it makes a difference when it comes to our souls as well, how we're, how we're feeling. And it can be discovered often just by simply talking about it. Our emotions are not typically, the way we feel emotionally are not necessarily always good or bad, but they're indicators on what is going on inside of us. Now, our first, our first response when we're going through depression and we're going through hard times is we isolate ourselves, right? Did you notice that? I, I pointed it out in the verse earlier, what Elijah did. He sent away his servant from him, his companion, the one who would be with him through all things, the one who'd be right there saying, hey, Elijah, can I get you anything? Hey, Elijah, do you need something? The one who would travel with him. The first thing he did is he sent him away and he went off by himself. And listen, folks, that's not the way to approach the trials that we're going through. Isolation is never the way to, uh, to deal with things. It's not healthy. We often want to just isolate ourselves and we want to wallow in our own pain. A Christian counselor named David Pallison said this. He said, things in a secret garden always grow mutant. I thought that was pretty powerful. Things in a secret garden always grow mutant. When we isolate ourselves and we just are trying to deal things with ourselves and, and, and we're trying to deal with all of these things by ourselves and we're not talking to anybody, uh, the thing that happens is that we become lonely then and then despondency comes and it doesn't really help anything. And so Elijah here, he puts himself in isolation. He goes out in this way, but then God comes to him and says, hey, what's going on? Talk to me. Talk to me. Talk to me what's going on. And maybe for some of you right now, you're in, a, you're in a difficult time and you're not sure how to get out of it and you're feeling overwhelmed with everything and you don't have anybody to talk to or you've eliminated everyone from talking to you. Can I encourage you to find somebody? I'm happy to talk with you. I'm happy to sit down with you and, 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 and to even if you just get it off your chest. That's what I love so much about Jeanette. She listens to me just, just say whatever. I love it. And she doesn't call me an idiot. She, you know, she doesn't make fun of my emotions. She realizes that there's something there there's something there. And it's, a, it's encouraging to be able to talk to somebody. It's encouraging to be able to open up and to share. That oftentimes is, is, is so, so helpful 
And God here deals with Elijah and he says, what's going on? He, he, he encourages him, but then of course he also ministers uh, to him spiritually, spiritually, and he gives him a, a, a good word. The thing is, I, I can't, like I said before, I can't diagnose what maybe you're going through right now or what you're going to go through. And not always is the, the depression or the discouragement that we're in, not always is it, uh, is it always, um, is it just one thing in particular? Often it's just a combination of those three things that's going on with us. But what we're going to do now for the rest of our time this morning is we're going to look at the spiritual aspects. So we've talked about the physical. Sometimes you just need to take a rest. Sometimes you need to talk to somebody. But what I want to address for the rest of this is God speaking now to Elijah and how God encouraged Elijah. So now we're talking about the spiritual aspects of things and how it applies to our discouragement and the things that we're going through. And, and I'll tell you this, even if you're here today and, and maybe for some of you, you, you have depression and, and maybe it's a clinical thing. Maybe it's, it's uh, something that you know for sure. It's a, this is something that you're facing. Um, while the spiritual uh, side of it may not be a big part of what you're going through, I do believe there's some really interesting thoughts here that can help you, uh, even if you're facing it from that side of things, that can be a blessing and can encourage you through this, because there's a lot of different dimensions, maybe even more that you realize. And so I want to talk about today, God's word to the discouraged, God's word to the discouraged. Look at verse number 11. So Elijah just unloaded on God and he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Verse 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out, he was in that cave and he stood in the entering in of the cave and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. Notice he's saying the exact same thing he already said. <laughs> and I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. So what's, what's going on here? What's going on in this whole passage beside a terrible, uh, <laughs> terrible thing that I, <laughs> terrible storm I wouldn't want to be in? <laughs> what's going on here? So first of all, notice he's in Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. That's where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. That's where God made a covenant with Israel. It was a place that God had descended on before with thunderings and, and uh, with earthquakes. Elijah, of course, would have known those stories as he was there in the cave in that mountain and all of these things was going on. He might have been thinking, hey, Moses went through this. <laughs> Maybe he was expecting then at that point that God was going to speak to him, you know, like he spoke to Moses and gave those Ten Commandments. And he was expecting all of these things. But then we see that God was not in those big things, but God came to him in a still, small voice, a whisper. Came to him in a whisper. So what is God doing here? What, uh, what does this mean for us? What it shows us today is that God and his voice doesn't always come in ways that we expect it to come. God doesn't always speak to us in the ways that we expect that he should speak to us, but it doesn't mean that he isn't speaking. Just because God is trying to encourage you in a way that you don't expect, it doesn't mean that he isn't speaking to you. Just because God doesn't show up how you expect him to doesn't mean that he isn't working. And so God comes to him and he asks me, he says, what, uh, what are you doing? And then God gives Elijah his plan. Look at verse number 15. And the Lord said unto him, go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of uh, Abel-Meholah, shall, shalt thou anoint to be a prophet in thy room. So God just revealed a whole lot of things just in a short time. First of all, what he revealed to him in that still small voice is that he was working in the life of a pagan king. That's uh, uh, the, the uh, Hazael king of Syria. He shows that he's working in the life of a pagan king to bring judgment to Ahab and to Jezebel. He then tells him that the next king of Israel is going to be this guy, Jehu. And then he also tells him that the next prophet is going to be Elisha, as well, 
And then in the next verse, he tells them that there's 7,000 secret agents of God that he knows nothing about. Look at verse 17. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. You're not going to get away. <laughs> Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Here, here's what I want you to see, okay? Elijah is doing what we so often do today and that he is putting a God in a box. He expected God to act in a certain way. And when God didn't come through and because Elijah had a limited view of God, he thought that God had let him down. He thought that, uh, that God had just totally left him on his own now and that God wasn't working. But then God comes back to me and says, listen, I am working. There is something going on that's big here. So don't be discouraged. He was simply working outside of Elijah's preference and expectations. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you four thoughts here real quickly from the passage that we just read. God comes to him. He tells him what he's going to do. Elijah is missing out on the whole point. And then we see some thoughts here, what to do when discouraged. I want to bring this up from the passage. Number one, you need to submit to God's wisdom. So when it comes to discouragement and depression, the first thing you need to do is you need to submit to God's wisdom. I think for all of us, we've been at stages in our lives where we looked back at a situation or a trial that we went through and we saw God's hand in that difficulty. I, I think for many of you, you've looked back and you see a trial and you see how God worked. Even at the time you thought, at the moment, you were positive God is absent in this situation. You're positive God is not doing anything right now. He is not working in my life. And you were, you were dead sure that God had forsaken you. But now you look back and you're like, oh yeah, he was there. He was there the whole time. He was working something for good. Here, here's the thing I want you to get. If you, in your limited perspective of God, and we all have a very limited perspective of God, okay, very limited. If you right now could say to me, uh, Pastor Paul, yes, I went through that and I saw God's work. If you right now, in your limited perspective of God, if you can look back and see a purpose in the pain, you can see a purpose uh, in the struggles that you have already faced, don't you think that right now, given enough time and given the right perspective, you would also be able to see a purpose for what you are facing right now? Amen. Does that make sense? Yeah, if you can now look back and, and do that, even with a limited perspective, you think it's possible with the right perspective and time, you'll be able to look back at this situation and say, okay, I see where God was working. That's why we, we've got to understand that in Romans chapter number 11, verse 33, it tells us that, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of God or who hath been his counselor? I love that. Who's the counselor of God? No, he knows all things. He is in control. And that's the point I want you to see is that, listen, you've seen it happen in the past. So just trust him in, your, in, in his wisdom today. Trust him in what you're going through and submit to his wisdom. How quickly we forgot, uh, we forget God's work in the past. And that's the first one. That's a short point. We need to submit to God's wisdom. But secondly, we need to remember God's love and grace. So we're in a time of discouragement. You need to remember that, listen, okay, God is, God is, God is all-knowing, okay? He's in control. He's been there for me before. We also need to remember his love and his grace. Now, there's some cool things happening in this passage. In verse 11 through 13, Elijah experienced uh, the wind, the earthquake, uh, the fire, all of these things that were going out. Uh, they are all symbols and really expressions of the outpouring of God's judgment. Uh, often those are used in representing his judgment, but yet through all of those things that were going on, we see Elijah protected in a cave. We see him protected from all of those things that are going on. And the mountain was the one that was absorbing the judgment, that was absorbing the storm and the fire and all of those things. And Elijah was saved from those big things, but then we see God speak to him in a still small voice. Now stay with me here. Later on in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 17. I'm gonna try to connect some dots here. In Matthew chapter 17, uh, right before uh, Jesus was to be crucified and called the Mount of Transfiguration, we see Jesus and his glory being revealed and we see him meeting and talking with two people, Elijah and Moses, right? And they're standing there and they're talking with Jesus in his full glory. At that time, they didn't need anything to protect them. They were, of course, in their glorified bodies as well. But the point that I want us to see is that Elijah, there's some picturing going on here. Elijah is being rescued by the rock. He's being rescued by that mountain from all of these things that are coming all around here. And it's a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. 
You got to remember when Jesus was on the cross and he suffered and he bled and he died and he received uh, the full expression of God's wrath of sin and he bore in his body the weight of the sin of the world and he received all of that judgment for us and the purpose was is so that we then could experience that still small voice of the Holy Spirit working in our lives today. So here's what I'm trying to get across. There's a, there's a picture happening here. Jesus, when he was on the cross, took the full weight of our punishment. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And Jesus took the judgment so that we could experience closeness with God. So that we then could call him our Abba Fathers, we see throughout Scripture. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 5, But ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Listen, the fact that we can have a relationship with God today is because of his love and his grace for us. It's all about his grace. And here's the thing, just knowing about the grace and love of our heavenly father shows us that God is never going to do what I think he's going to do. Just knowing the fact that he uh, uh, poured that out on his son, Jesus Christ, so that I could have salvation teaches me that I don't have to doubt his love and his and his goodness towards me because God's goodness for us was demonstrated on the cross Jesus himself prayed for our forgiveness even as our sin was taking part of pounding the nails into his hands he was praying for our forgiveness so why would I doubt his love and goodness towards me now why would I be uh, so discouraged and so, uh, uh, so depressed and feeling like I'm all alone? We are not. Remember when Jesus hung on the cross, he prayed, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Remember he said that? He cried it out and he experienced the separation from God so that we don't have to separate, uh, experience separation from God right now. He went through that. And so what that tells us is that even in our darkest days, we can look to the cross and his love and his grace for us. And we can look to the cross and we can remember that he's never going to forsake us. In Hebrews chapter 13, 5, he tells us at the end of the verse, he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Jesus went through forsakenness by God the Father himself so that we would never have to go through that. And it may feel like hope is lost and it may feel like everything is out of control in your life, but it's not. And immediately you say, but you don't know what I'm going through. It doesn't matter what you're going through, to be honest. I'm not trying to sound harsh or anything. It does not matter how difficult or how deep the pain is because God is with you. He is with you in that trial. It's not like, it's not like there's a situation that you could go through and God's like, whoa, that's a bit much for me. <laughs> I don't think I can help. Sorry, you're on your own. Satan, you want to take over here? No. <laughs> there is no situation, no matter how dark or how difficult it may seem. Listen, think about it. If there was ever a situation that looked out of control, it was the scene on the cross. Think about it. If there ever was a situation that seemed like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, the son of God himself was being killed by sinful man. But as we look at it now, we look at scripture, we realize that there never was a time where he was more in control, <laughs> setting up salvation for us. To us, it's like, what is happening? This is terrible. This is the worst thing that could possibly happen. It is out of control. And then we look at it now, we're like, no, that was just God working out our salvation. Great. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Man, what a big deal this is. It, it, you know, if, an all good, if, if a good and all-powerful and a wise God is able to uh, fully be in charge in the cross, guess what? He's in charge of your life right now. <laughs> he knows what's going on, even when it doesn't go like you expected it to go. When we're in the depths of despair, when we feel like all is lost, God has not forsaken you. And so take heart and be encouraged by his love and grace. When you're going through a difficult time, Submit to his wisdom and then remember his love and grace to you. But thirdly, today we see here, you need to confront the lies that you believe right now. You need to confront the lies that you believe right now. There's two times in this passage where God asks Elijah why he is depressed. <laughs> he says, what's going on? What, what, what's happening here, Elijah? Why are you here right now? Why are you here right now? And both times Elijah responds to him with some truth and then he also responds with some error. <laughs> He, he, he's, he says to God some things that are truthful, and he says things to God that are not true. Uh, he said to him, he said, I've been zealous for you. That's true, is it not? I'm I've been zealous for you. Uh, the Israelites have rejected you. That's, that's a true statement. Uh, Elijah said, they've killed all your prophets. That's true. In both cases, he said, I'm the only one left. False. <laughs> False. That is not true. He says these true statements, 
But then he also has this false one. He assumed that he was the only one left. Of course, then God revealed to him there are 7,000 more and all of these things that Elijah had no idea about. He must have felt like a real, <laughs> real dummy when God told him that. You know, like, what, 7,000 left? You know, I've been stressing about this, right? I can't believe I didn't even know what was going on. He also told him he's going to raise up Elijah, who would have twice the power of Elijah. We'll get to that in a few weeks. And through all of this, Elijah thought he was all alone. And this is how despair, this is how discouragement and depression comes to us. There's aspects of truth that we understand, but often those aspects of truth lead us to a false conclusion. Typically, the false conclusion is about ourselves or what we're going through. And then we allow our discouragement to convince us of things that are not true. Have you ever said to yourself, I might as well just give up. It's never going to get any better. You ever say that? I say that all the time. <laughs> and then my wife says, <laughs> get it together. All is lost. I'm, ne I'm never getting out of this. I'm never getting out of this. It, it's never going to get any better. This is, this is as good as it gets. Great. We say things like, man, there's no, one, there's no one in this world who cares for me, who truly cares for me. We say things like, I, I, I'm never, I'm never going to be happy. I'm never going to be happy. You know, my family's never going to change. It's useless. Nothing's ever going to change. My friends are never going to listen. It'll never, never get better. Listen, to all of these I say to you, those are false. <laughs> those are false things. Those are lies that we tell ourselves. And there has to come a time in your life where you confront the lies that you are believing, the lies that you're telling yourself. And just like Elijah was confronted by God, I got to tell you, the best way to confront the lies that you're facing are found right here in the word of God. God spoke to him and he said, no, 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 I'm doing something here. I'm working here. There's something going on. And I got to tell you, when you believe lies about yourself and you believe lies about your situation, the best place to be confronted about it right here is the word of God. It's the word of God, because he'll always reveal to you the lies that you are telling yourself. Somebody once said that we must defy our depressed self. Someone else said, stop listening to the lies that you're telling yourself and start preaching the truth of God over your life. Someone else said, said this about the whole subject. Take hold of yourself and preach. <laughs> Take hold of yourself and preach and be long-winded. <laughs> Nobody wants the pastor to be long-winded. When you preach to yourself the truth of God, be long-winded. Go for it. You got all day, all right? Preach to yourself the truths. And even if you are in uh, the will of God and even in God's will, you struggle through depression and sadness. Let me tell you this, even if you struggle with it until your very dying breath, you can take courage in the, in, in the fact that at that moment of death, it will be vanquished from your life. And even if in God's will, you struggle through all of your life, your glorified body will experience everlasting joy in the presence of God. And it gives you something to look forward to. Even in those hard times, and while we may not understand it now, the one thing that we can know is that even if we don't get over it, it's not permanent. <laughs> it is not permanent. So often we think, man, this is, this is it. And some of you I know are, are dealing with things maybe, and you will deal with it for the rest of your life. It's still not permanent though. As a child of God, we have the resurrection to encourage us. The fact that if God can raise his son from the dead, you're gonna have that glorified body just as he promised. And it's all gonna be vanquished forever. But for now, one of the greatest things we can do is just simply confront the lies that we believe. Confront the lies. And be like, listen, nah, I'm not gonna believe this anymore. You say, oh, is this just psychobabble? It works. <laughs> God confronted Elijah and said, that's wrong. I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. That's a lie that you are believing that you're the only one left. And I just wanna tell you guys right now, some of you right now might be believing this is as good as it's ever gonna get. I'm never gonna see victory over this. I'm never gonna, listen, don't believe the lie that you tell yourself. Find hope and find strength in the word of God. Confront the lies that you believe. The fourth thing that we should do is to simply return to our calling. Return to your calling. Look again at verse number 15. I have it here on the screen. The Lord said unto him, go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. The point where he says, go and return thy way. And then he gives him some things that he should do. Basically what it is, is he, God says, get back to being a prophet. <laughs> get back to doing what you're supposed to be doing. Get back to doing what I called you to do. Giving the word of God, anointing rulers, training up men, 
for, uh, for the Lord. And for us today, when we find ourselves in those moments of discouragement, of depression, uh, there are moments, of course, that we need to rest and recover. But ultimately, we need to evaluate our lives and say, okay, am I, am I doing what God has called me to do? Am I, am I pursuing Christ as I know I should be pursuing him? Am I following him? Am I being the, the dad or the mom or the husband or the wife that God has called me to be? Am I being faithful in my walk with God? Am I being faithful uh, to serving in the local church? Am I witnessing as I should? Am I uh, being an honorable uh, gospel illustrating witness to my coworkers? Am I uh, sharing the love of Jesus Christ through my actions? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 tells us, My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He doesn't say if you're having a good day at the end of it. We're to be always abounding in the things of God. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, even if you're having a bad day. Man, in, in times past in, in, in ministry that I've been in, I gotta be honest with you, sometimes as, as someone in full-time ministry, sometimes you don't wanna go to church. Just to be honest with you. And you're like, <gasps> I can't believe you say that. Man, there's been times where I had to lead singing, you know? And I'm just like, I don't want to be here. And someone told me this once. They said, listen, act like you want to be there and God will give you what you need to be there. <laughs> and I don't know how many times I've come to church and, uh, and, uh, and, and I'm discouraged and I'm going through a hard time. And, uh, and, and I'm just like, well, you know what? I know God has called me to do this. And so I'm going to do it with the best of my might, even if I'm not really feeling like it. By the way, if every pastor only preached when they felt like it, come on. <laughs> There'd be very few Sunday services, I'll just say. That's why I pray and I pray and I ask the Lord to revive my spirit. Most of my mornings on Sundays are, is begging for the Holy Spirit to make me alive and renew me. And, uh, and, uh, and, and so he said, he said, just get up there and smile, <laughs> you know, and praise the Lord. And, God, and you know what? Every time, every time. Sometimes it's in the middle of a song that we're singing. Sometimes it's in the middle of a message and God just, just gives me that strength. He gives me what I need. He revives my heart. Do you know why? Because I'm doing what I know I need to do. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not looking for excuses. I just, I don't feel like it all the time. But listen, I'm just gonna do what God wants me to do. And I gotta tell you, it's the same way. You know, I've had people say like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just in a hard place. And I say, are you reading your Bible? No, I'm not reading my Bible. Why? Well, because I'm in a hard place. That's the time to read your Bible, by the way, when you're in a hard place. And so be faithful to those things. Pursue those things. And uh, be steadfast. Be unmovable, always abounding. And it's in those moments of discouragement we're so prone to put off responsibilities. But we got to remember that God has called us to do it. And the best thing that we can do is to simply do what we know we should be doing because that's God's desire for us. And he'll give you the strength and he'll encourage you in ways that you never thought possible just simply by following after him. I think sometimes our tendency as Christians is to think that in the past, God's work was always clear and easy, right? You ever read the Bible and you're like, man, it was so easy for David. Psh, he always knew what the Lord wanted him to do, you know? You can look at this. It's so easy for Elijah. You know, he's a prophet. It should be so easy for him. Look at this passage here. <laughs> Elijah had questions just like you and me, didn't he? Elijah had discouragement. He was depressed. He didn't know what was going on, so much so that he wanted his life to end. It wasn't easy for him. It was hard for him because he had to trust God as well. But in the same way as God was working in his life, God is working in your life today. I mentioned earlier Charles Spurgeon, and uh, I'll bring up a quote for him here in just a second. But he struggled with depression all the way through his, his ministry. Later on, they discovered um, that there were some physical aspects to his depression that he didn't even know about years and years later there's some things and they like, you know, it's like when you ever go to the doctor and <laughs> maybe you've been, you've been the doctor and he's like, are you feeling kind of weird? Like, oh, and you're like, yeah. He's like, well, here's why, <laughs> you know? Uh, and you're like, oh, I just, you know, I just thought it was part of whatever. And that was what was going on. There's some physical things going on. Obviously there was the difficulty of ministry and all of those things. But throughout his ministry, Spurgeon spoke about depression a lot and he chose not to see his depression as the absence of God's word, but he, he chose to use it to trust that God had something for him through it is the way he looked at it. He assumed this, I love this, because the word assumed is so powerful, isn't it? He assumed that through his darkest times, God was giving him a picture of something that went far deeper than just the joys of a happy and healthy life here on earth. He assumed that through the dark times, God was trying to reveal to him the joy of eternity. See, so often when we're in dark times, all we want to do is to feel normal again, right? In, by this world standards. 
We want to be happy again by this world's standards. And he said he assumed through his darkest times of depression that God was trying not to show him what it's like to be happy here on earth, but the ultimate joy that he's going to experience one day in heaven. He said this about his depression. This is what he said. He said, I find myself frequently depressed, perhaps more so than any other person here. And he spoke to thousands of people at a time. And that's what he said. He, he felt that strongly about it. He said, maybe more than any of anyone here in this room. He says, I find no better cure for that depression than to trust in the Lord with all my heart and to seek to re realize afresh the power of the peace-speaking blood of Jesus and his infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all my transgressions. Do you know what I see here? He preached to himself. He preached to himself. In that time of discouragement, he trusted in the Lord and he sought after the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and his infinite love in dying on the cross for his sins. That's what he found his strength in. He preached to himself. I wonder today, are you in a well of despondency? <laughs> are you feeling discouraged today? Are you feeling depressed? You're like, I wasn't, but now I am. No. <laughs> are you going through a hard time today? It may not be today, it may be later on, but can I tell you there's no pit so deep that Christ is not deeper still, that he cannot be there for you. The only thing that can overcome, somebody said this, the only thing that can overcome a deep well of despondency is an even deeper arm of God's grace, and that is the power of the cross and the resurrection knowing that Christ is there for us. If you don't get anything else today, I hope that you understood the idea about how on the cross in the seemingly most out-of-control time, <laughs> seems just out of control, God was doing his greatest work for mankind. And in you right now, whatever you're facing, God is doing, a, doing something. It may take some time. It may take some uh, perspective change. But ultimately, God loves you and he cares for you. And he's working things out for his, your good. And you can find strength and help and peace in his word right here. Yes, you may need to rest a little bit. <laughs> yes, you uh, may need to talk it out with somebody. And I encourage that. Someone that you trust in a spiritual way, talk with them. But we can find our strength in his word right here. For whatever we're facing, Elijah was a man with the same kind of passions as we had. He was a man that saw God bring fire from heaven and destroy an altar and turn a nation. And he felt like he wanted to die. Felt like he wanted to die. And God revived him and God gave him what he needed. We hope today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for you.